Good morning. It's wonderful to see everybody here, and we're grateful that we have Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Chaplains Organization with us. I also work as a chaplain for the Florissant Police Department, so I work in a community uh, where I ride with police officers and do all that kind of stuff, so I know what it's like to work as a chaplain. Uh, and I'm thankful that you are able to worship with us this morning. It's a joy to have you. Amen? Today, Pastor Jim Goforth, or pastor, is out on vacation, so he's asked me to speak about my calling into ministry. Last week, last two weeks, Pastor Jim has talked about uh, Jonah, a servant of God, who was the first unwilling servant and uh, got tossed out of the boat for it. But God saved him, preserved him, called him to a second chance was his second message. I feel like my life has been a life of second chances. Because of people that have come and been involved with my life, God has spoken to my heart and used me only because I was a willing person, probably unknowing of what was in front of me, thank God, <laughs> but how God has used me and, and, and developed me to the person that I am today. So today I'd like to begin with a look at a man who was called to serve God at a young age and had a difficult time recognizing the reality of God actually speaking to him because he was unprepared. And the scripture says that he did not yet know the Lord. He did not yet understand how God called people. He had not experienced enough or been trained enough to recognize God's voice. So let's look at uh, 1 Samuel. If you'll open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel. Uh, I've got my Bible open here, but I've also got it printed out in my notes so that I can have bigger print. I turned 70 this last week, so uh, I'm getting to be an old fossil. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, so I believe that today's youth and young adults have been unprepared to recognize the fact that God could call them and use them in his kingdom, in his kingdom work, because Christian pastors and parents are really not making it a priority to challenge our young people today to listen to the Holy Spirit for a calling upon their life, and we're missing the opportunity to, to, to uh, gather in our very best of our youth and young adults, to train them and mentor them. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If you'll read it with me, not out loud, but just read it while I read it out loud. So the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord and Eli... In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. 
Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went back to lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up, went to Eli again and said, here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lay down. Now Samuel didn't know the Lord. He didn't yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went. He laid down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. Now, not everyone is going to have an audible call where God speaks out loud to them and says, I am calling you to be a preacher or an evangelist or a Sunday school teacher. a minister of education, a worship leader. He may not speak out loud audibly with a voice where you hear it with your ears. For me, it was a bit different. When I was about 10 years old, I was sitting in the very last pew. I remember this so distinctly. The very last pew on the right in the back of the First Presbyterian Church of Ferguson. I had gone to... Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts there. I'd been through, you know, I had been through the church many times just to be there with my mom who took us occasionally. My dad rarely went. It was uh, the time I was sitting there with my mom on my left, my little brother on my right, and I remember looking up. It was one of the few Sundays that we were attending the worship service, and Pastor Dr. Long was speaking, and I really was not listening to the sermon but I was instead observing the general atmosphere. You know how as a kid you used to kind of sit around daydream, you know, and, and you look around and see what other people are doing, you know, observe. I was a people watcher. And uh, I wasn't really paying attention to the preaching moment, but I was kind of daydreaming as a kid does. So as I watched our pastor speak to the congregation, I kind of heard a voice like I was thinking to myself, daydreaming, someday you will stand up and speak for me. I was immediately, silently laughing out loud at myself, thinking I must really be off on a crazy daydream to let an idea like that to run through my head. No way. 
So I began to focus on the pastor speaking again. I heard the same idea in my head a second time, kind of a different voice, a little more clearly that it was distinctly not my thinking. And God spoke inside my head. He said, one day you will stand up and speak for me just like this man is doing now. Again, I just kind of blew the idea off as a kid's crazy daydream and did not give it much attention and certainly never mentioned it to anybody else because they would have thought I was nuts knowing me. But I never forgot the experience. I was unprepared to receive that message because I was uneducated in God's word. I was uneducated about how God works. I was uneducated that God could call somebody that was lost to be saved and then to be used, to be equipped. I had no idea that that could be me. Have you ever just wanted to know what God is going to do with your life? Why am I here? At this point, I never really understood the gospel until I really began attending Sunday school and church with my best friend, Randy Price, who lived just a block away from me. And, you know, he and I kind of grew up together and got in trouble together. His mom used to chase us around with a wooden spoon together. We we had a good time, you know. Uh, But Randy Price's family, Randy, his mom and dad and his sister, were the first family I ever met that lived out what they talked about in their Christ walk. I recognized that they were a holy couple trying to raise holy children. It was something I had not seen in many of the families that I knew. So I was attending occasionally with him through my junior high and a little more during my junior high years at the first uh, Nazarene church at Ferguson over here on Elizabeth. And there I listened to Reverend Udell Moss who made no bones about it that you either accept Jesus as your Savior or spend eternity separated from God in hell. That scared me because I knew where I was headed. It scared me because I really knew that I was a sinner. I was afraid to go to sleep at night. I'd lay my head down on my pillow and pray that, if I, that I'd wake up the next day because I knew if I didn't, I was done because I didn't know God. So I, I, I imagined... God, as a great judge, just waiting for me to arrive so that he could slam down that hammer on his desk and tell me the stairway down is right over there. That's how I felt about God. I just felt he was going to judge me. I, I feared him because I knew I was going to be judged. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was not right with God. Didn't know how to get right with God. Didn't think I had the capacity to get right with God. So I also believe that I had already done enough wrong that My sin was probably more than he would ever be able to forgive. And I did not think that I was worthy of God's grace. Have you ever felt that way? Well, let me tell you, you are not worthy of God's grace. 
but he gives it to you anyway. Praise his name. In reality, I lived in fear of death and that I would go to hell. There was a youth Sunday school teacher at the Nazarene Church whose name is Pat Maxey. Now, I invited Pat to be here today. Raise your hand, Pat. Right over here. She's still after me. (laughs) She sends me devotionals every day of every week. Been reading those for the last, I don't know how many years. But Pat Maxey has a significant part in my life. During my junior year of high school, Mrs. Maxey, this little lady over here, now at that time I was a professional water skier. I was a pretty good-sized kid up here, not down here like I am now. But I, I could take my girlfriend and raise her up 105 pounds, put her on my shoulder while I was water skiing. So I was a pretty husky kid, and, and, and uh, she was concerned about me and Randy, and she was concerned about me, and she, she was praying for me, hoping that I would ask Jesus to be my Savior. Now, I, I praise God for Sunday school teachers that pray for their students. I kind of was messing around, you know, that day in, in the Sunday school class with Randy. You know, we went there just to pass notes and chase the girls. And she came to me and said, I need to talk to you after class. And she told me that she was concerned about me and that she was praying for me, hoping that I would ask Jesus to be my Savior. And I said, oh, that's really nice. I kind of brushed her aside and politely thanked her and began to walk away. And she kind of just grabbed me by the shirt sleeve and put me up against the wall very nicely. She was always so polite, always so loving. And I'm looking down at her. I was, you know, maybe three or four inches taller than her. And, and uh She said that she really did care about me and felt that God had a special plan for my life. I said, okay, and once again attempted to escape from the conversation and walk away. Then she took me by the arm one more time, pulled me up against the wall, and said, I don't think you really understand. I I want you to know that every time you lay your head down on your pillow, that Miss Maxie's going to be praying for you. That you'll no longer be comfortable in your sin. And that you'll ask Jesus to forgive you and to become a Christian. I tried to explain to her. I told her I understood and and thanked her for her prayers. And I told her, I just just don't think God can forgive me. She says, oh, yeah, Bill, he can forgive you. But that night when, when I laid my head down on the pillow that Sunday night, all I could think that I knew that that crazy lady was praying for me. And it ate me up alive. I couldn't rest. Because I knew she was a woman of her word that she was praying for me. The the Holy Spirit was powerfully convicting me of my lost heart. 
the Holy Spirit was convicting me and revealing my need for confession and repentance of sin. And I still thought that I was unworthy of God's grace. And here's the first point that I want you to grab a hold of and hang on to today. Here's what I want you to know. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have not made that move away from sin and to God, hear me today. When, when somebody prays for you, when, when you as, as people of God pray for another person to be convicted of their sin and ask the Holy Spirit to work on the heart, that is a prayer that is definitely in the will of God and God will answer that prayer. He will. You may not see it, you may not hear it, but God will answer that prayer. When you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with another person and share the scriptures which tell the story of salvation, the scriptures become the spiritual, surgical tools that begin to change and turn the person's heart toward God. And when you do both, you pray for them and you share the scriptures, It's like heaping coals of conviction from heaven upon their soul so that they can no longer be comfortable in their sin. They may act like they're still comfortable. I guarantee you that if you shared the word and you're praying for them, they are no longer comfortable in their sin. And that's where they need to be. That's where you need to put them through your prayers. Those prayers of Mrs. Maxie heap fire of conviction upon my heart. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. All that spring and summer, her testimony and her prayers haunted me. I wanted to be right with God. I thought maybe if I clean up my life through the summertime, when fall comes, that you know I can, I can maybe go back to church and then ask Jesus to accept me after I clean myself up. I failed all summer. I failed miserably. And the fall of my senior year in high school, I met a young lady who seemed to be sweet and almost angelic as she walked into my typing class. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to date a decent chick for a change? (laughs) I'm just telling you the truth. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to date a Christian girl? And have the right kind of relationship that you're seeking. And every day she'd walk into that typing class and she was just like there was a glow about her. And that's this young lady right here. Sharon Arnold Fries, it's now my wife. We just celebrated our 49th wedding anniversary last week. So uh, I actually, yeah, she's tolerated me that long. You're applauding her, not me, I guarantee you. She's sustained 10 years in the Navy and, and uh, 42 years in ministry. And that's something that a woman can brag about, let me tell you. Uh, so anyway, I began to date Sharon Arnold and her family, got to know them. They were the second family that I ever met that literally lived out what they said they believed. Her parents invited me in for their home Bible study, their devotion time. I had never seen a family do that other than Randy's. They invited me to go to a revival at West Florissant Baptist Church in St. Louis. 
An evangelist there was preaching on 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I needed to hear that. I needed to have it explained to me the way he did that it was like a machine gun going right through me that I couldn't clean up myself. It was God's job to clean me up. It says that he will forgive and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we go to God, the scriptures tell us that we're unable to clean up our own lives. We cannot wash away any sin by our own effort or our own will. Understand that. You cannot conquer the devil in your power. You can invite Jesus in and ask him to help you to give up those things that are unclean and to to implant in you the things that are clean and righteous. And he will do it if you lean upon him to do it. You do it on your own power, your own will, and your own strength. You are going to fail just like I did. We can only be cleansed from our sin by the blood of Jesus who was shed on the cross at Calvary for us. So it's the work Jesus did on the cross to die in our place that has the capacity to save us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus does the purifying. He purifies us when we put our trust in him to do it. You've got to come to the point and say, I can't do it, God. I need you to do it because I'm failing. I need you to change me. I need you to change my heart. Put in me a clean heart, oh God. All those prayers in the Psalms of David. Cleanse me. Cleanse me because I can't do it. Change my heart because I can't do it. All of the prayers of those saints that have been praying for me through the years came to fruition that day and I was convicted of my sin when I stood in front of the gospel and the gospel, the word of God, changed my heart. I was reconciled to God and washed clean of all my unrighteousness that very night. I knew that God had come into my life when I asked him to forgive me. Now, I didn't know what all that meant at that moment. But I knew that God had done something. I felt relieved. So uh, I, I understood at that point that God really did have a place for me to serve him. He had a purpose for my life. And you should know today that God loves you and has a plan for your life. He wants you to have a place in his family and in his kingdom work. He doesn't want you to come to just to come to church and punch a time clock to become a historian of what God has done in the past. He calls you here to be equipped to go out and do his work today. There was another man in the Old Testament that was called by God and was not disobedient, yet he was reluctant to do what he was called to do by God. So look at the call of Moses in Exodus. Look with me at Exodus chapter 4. When God told Moses 
that uh, he was going to speak for his people, he tried to wiggle out of it. (laughs) Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through uh, 12. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses thought he had had to have some kind of supernatural ability to be a servant of God. God corrected him. He said, I'm the only one that needs to have the supernatural ability. God's the only one that has the supernatural power, but I will use that through you. Now go and do what I told you to do. So my second point is that a believer, as a believer, you can do whatever God calls you to do because you are a new creation in Christ. And what you thought you could do in the past is no longer valid. What you can do now in Christ and in his power is completely unlimited. Unlimited. I don't care who you are. You have installed within you the only supernatural force that's needed for whatever God calls you to do, and it's Him. He's the supernatural power. When you were saved, you became a new creature in Christ, where the Holy Spirit came into you and joined together with your spirit to become a whole new person to be used in God's kingdom work. Let me remind you that God's tool chest of candidates to do his work are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. See if you qualify. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him, Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. He is the one that gives us all of that. It's not because of anything that we've done. Therefore, it is written, verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So when I was in the U.S. Navy, I was in the Navy for 10 years, from 1971 to 81, I reluctantly became involved in the ministry as a Protestant lay leader aboard ship because we had no chaplain. So I began to study and memorize Pastor Bob Warner's, who was pastor here at this time, uh, his sermons, and take notes on them, and then repeat those sermons aboard ship because I was not trained and had no resources to train myself or to prepare anything. So I just memorized Bob's sermons and gave him a board ship. 
started seeing people get saved. I had no idea that those early preaching experiences were going to lead me to a greater level of pastoral ministry in the future. But I was willing to do what he asked me to do at that moment. During the last three years of my military career, while stationed at the Navy School of Cryogenics, I was teaching how to make liquid oxygen and liquid nitrogen. I served as this naval instructor. And during that tour of duty, I also worked as a volunteer assistant to the youth leader at Western Branch Baptist Church in Portsmouth, Virginia. This was not a paid position, but one of the most, most rewarding experiences of my life is I led their youth drama team and small group of youth in a pit orchestra to do drama and get ready to go out on tour, you know, to different churches through the summertime. So it was during that period that God spoke to me about dedicating my life to Christian ministry. There was a missionary evangelist from Utah leading our revival who placed a a great deal of emphasis of the need for Christian educators to serve in our denomination. He asked if anyone present was a teacher. Well, I was a teacher. I was teaching engineering stuff. I raised my hand. He asked later, is there anybody here that would be willing to teach a Sunday school class? I'd raise my hand. I I might be able to do that. Would there be anybody here later? You know, each day he'd have a higher level of challenge. So the second week, all of a sudden he was asking, who here would just say to God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. I kind of creaked my hand up about halfway. Okay, if you're willing to say that and willing to do that, then I want you to go home and pray, you know, God, what do you want me to do? And ask him to speak to you. So, he asked again if anyone would just consider doing full-time work in God's kingdom. He was speaking... As he was speaking, all I could think about was I had a, been a teacher and equipper in the military for engineering training for many years. I've occasionally taught a Sunday school class. But could someone as rough around the edges as me step into full-time ministry? Could God use a wayward kid, a sailor, Navy guy? living among a bunch of real ruffians? Could he he do the spiritual surgery on me that was needed to to call me into ministry? I mean, I had just too far to go. I thought, not me. I turned to my wife and I asked Sharon, I said, do you think God could use me in ministry? And she goes, "Uh uh-huh. And I go, that is not the answer I wanted. Do you think God's calling me? Uh Uh-huh. That's not the answer I wanted. So as I prayed through that week, I couldn't get away from the God's continual draw upon my heart toward this evangelist's challenge to become an equipper of God's people. I didn't know what that meant. I thought maybe I'd be a Christian educator. So Sharon and I discussed the call upon my heart and God made his will very distinct in my heart and soul and I reluctantly committed myself to his work and made a decision publicly that I would step into full-time Christian ministry. We were a few months away from getting out of the Navy and I had finished 10 years in the Navy 
And uh, I didn't know at that time what it meant to become a pastor, a minister of education, or a missionary. I simply prayed, Lord, I lay down my life for you to use any way you want. That's what he told me to pray. That's what I'm praying. So lead me in your path for my life. I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything you desire. And I met that. That was how my commitment began. Nine months later, I left my 10 years of service in the Navy and returned to St. Louis. We stayed in St. Louis searching and praying for our family, uh, for a way uh, through Christian friends, waiting to find our way into education and ministry. We were sitting right here in this church, and uh, Dr. Larry Lewis, the head of the Hannibal LaGrange College at the time, came to speak. It was deep in the winter, and his car wouldn't start after the service. And I said, I'll try to help him get it started. We went out. We got his car started. He said, thank you. He says, and by the way, he's talking about a God thing. His wife sat somewhere here in the middle of the pew. And where did God ask me and my wife to sit down? I sat down right next to this lady. I said, hey, I don't know you. Who are you? She goes, I'm Mrs. Lewis. I go, that's nice. I said, are you visiting today? She goes, yes, that's my husband up there speaking. <laughs> we ended up going to Hannibal Grange Baptist College just a few months later. So, as I began to preach at different churches while I was in college, a church called me back a couple of times and then asked me to be their pastor uh, at Ten Mile Baptist Church, was my first pastor, where I began to, to discover my pastoral goals, and they kindly absorbed and, and, and survived my first few sermons. Uh, through the years, I went on to complete a Master of Arts in Christian Education at Midwest Baptist Theological Seminary, and I'm now a little over halfway on my doctoral program in church revitalization. But God used me now for 42 years in ministry, not because I'm the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree, but because I was qualified according to 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Not necessarily wise, but willing to study. Not influential or are born from a special family, but willing to be led by him to lead the church. Not so wise that I could prove myself, but that I could prove his wisdom. Realizing that I was such a weak vessel, that if anything were going to be accomplished, it would ha- that I would have to admit that it was all God and none of me. Amen? I realized that I was worthless in my own position in this world and was only worthy of being despised, which meant that I could only brag on what Jesus accomplished through me in his strength, his wisdom, and his resources. I was willing to be used to express his wisdom, his grace to people that were just like me when I was a teenager that didn't realize that they could receive God's grace. So now comes the question. Hear the question this morning. How is Jesus calling you? What is Jesus calling you to do or to become in his kingdom work? Have you found a place of service in God's kingdom other than being a student of history? Other than just being a pew warmer and 
to learn a little bit more about history in the Bible. When will you take what you've learned and apply it to other people? How is God calling you? Jesus called a few men from the trade of being dirty, sweaty, smelly, hardened fishermen to be his followers. Look at Matthew 4, 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the very first thing that he spoke to his first disciples. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Do you realize that's his call to every one of us? We're all supposed to be casting our line into society, sharing the gospel. We are all to become fishers of men. Once they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus took these dirty, stinky fishermen, who had no formal religious training, probably not much education at all other than how to bait a hook or throw a net. By the way, sailors usually spit and cuss and tell bad jokes. And, you know, they were probably some pretty rough characters that Jesus called out to be his. We're to follow God. This idea to allow Jesus to come in and to make us to become fishers of men, his call to us to become fishers of men, to follow God, and he makes us fishers of men. This idea to allow Jesus to uh, uh, make us to become these fishers of men is repeated through the Gospels and ends in the Great Commission, which is a command to every believer to take what he's learned and share it with others so that they can be saved and then to mentor them to become fishers of men. So we are to follow God, allow him to develop us into fishers of men, then to follow his command to go fishing. How many of you are actively fishing today for men and women that are lost? We fish. Others follow God. We mentor them, and they become fishers of men. This is understood as exponential Christianity. Exponentially growing. When we fish for men and with the gospel and they respond by following Jesus, we are then responsible to mentor them and teach them all that Jesus teaches us and help them to become fishers of men with us. This is how God designed a pattern of church growth. It's how he designed the church to function. Furthermore, the last thing I'd like you to think about is this. How many of you think that we ought to have a little more joy in the church? Come on, how many of you think we ought to have some more joy in the church? Praise God. Well, let me tell you how that works. What? (laughs) 
So this is the last thing I'd like you to think about. Jesus was speaking to all of his followers in John 15 about their relationship with him as followers. And this is what he said in John 15, verse 7 through 17. I challenge you to open your Bibles, highlight this, and look at it and read it often. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The only kind of fruit that another Christian can bear is another Christian. The only thing you can take to heaven with you that is of eternal value is another man or another woman's soul. He said, as the Father loves me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. He's telling us to go fishing, to catch some fish and to mentor them so that our joy will overflow. You see, when you go out and you share the gospel, you bring somebody down this aisle on Sunday because they accepted Christ that week, it brings joy to you and joy to the church. Amen? Amen. When was the last time you did that? He says, if you're my friends, if you do what I command, he says, I'll know I, I no longer call you servants because my servant does not know his, his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. See, he's already appointed you to do it. So my question is, are you doing it? And he says, and so whatever you ask in my name, this is my command, love one another. And this is how Jesus places joy in the church. Christians become fishers of men, bearing spiritual fruit, mentoring others, and duplicating themselves as fishers of men. This glorifies God and brings joy to the individual Christian and to the body of Christ, his church. God is calling every Christian to be part of his kingdom work. Are you willing to allow him to fulfill his call on your life today to be a fisher of men. The Apostle Paul reminded us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, it's the last verse I want to share with you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled himself to reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's what the scripture says. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Us. Are you willing to make the effort to equip yourself and fulfill Christ's purpose for your life today? To become a fisher of men, to obey his call on your life.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, draw us close to you today. Hear our voice. Allow us, Lord, today to seek your face. And where we have failed you, Lord, let us today turn to be obedient. Where you want to bless us, Lord, let us open our hearts that you may bless us. And where you want to fill our lives with joy and the church with joy, oh God, let us participate in that. That your house will be filled with glory. That your house will be filled with those that want to praise your name and do your work. That it would be filled with those that are coming to know you. Help us, oh God, to never turn away and run. Not to hide behind a little bit of study and a little bit of attendance in a church. But Lord, let us be called by you to live out what you want us to be, fishers of men. We pray this in Jesus' name.